As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, Blunders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 71 of Real Blend, a podcast that has a pretty broad definition of the term sci-fi, apparently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> My name is Sean O'Connell, and I'm the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and I'm thrilled because the show, once again, is complete. Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 is back home in Chicago. Jake, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm happy to be home, man. You're missing the uh, fish and chips of the uh, the UK countryside? I, I am, and, I, and I'm, I'm bummed that I got out of there right before they had a massive uh, win with their football team. Oh, yeah, so that would have been cool. Oh, you were in Liverpool. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You were right where it happens. It's true. Uh, and, of course, if you listened to us last week, you knew that uh, our very own Kevin McCarthy was out on vacation, but the entertainment reporter for Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. is back with us. BDK, how are you? Sean, Jake, good to talk to you guys. Yeah, I was on a cruise, and uh, I, I listened back to the show from last week. It was really good. Uh, and thank you for including my Catherine Bigelow pick I still, I'm happy that Sean went with Point Break, by the Woo! way, because Point Break is clearly, clearly her best movie. <laughs> no well, Lauren, Lauren disagrees with you also. I know. She... Lauren agrees with Jake and uh, about Zero Dark Thirty. It's a great movie, though. I knew I liked her. Yeah. <laughs> I love when Lauren's on the show, too. That was a nice little surprise. I'm she would love to come on anytime. Good. We'll make sure to make some room for her as well. So uh, no new reviews this week where we're starting. So I'm going to put the call Kevin, out. What has your mom been doing? <laughs> my mom t uh, took a vacation um so she'll be ah, back with the reviews next week yeah good she, i mean it's, it's a lot of work she has to go through all those ip addresses and you know different locations i mean she flies to all those locations and types up those reviews so what he's accurate. saying is that his mom won't review the show if he's not on it <laughs> right exactly what, what coincidence that kevin was on vacation the same week his mom was on vacation it's true yeah huh. yeah is Kevin Kevin's mom? <laughs> oh wow! This, this, this just like a real meta Inception level. That is a deep dive into the Inception. Ah, uh, so listen, Blenders, head over to the Apple Podcast and leave a rating or a review because, as we always tell you guys, it helps the show. You can also email us, uh, realblend at cinemablend.com. Most importantly, if you guys can. Uh, Gabe told me this one time, there's another podcast that uses this line and I'm going to steal it, that our marketing budget for the show um, is essentially you guys. 
using word of mouth to tell friends that they should listen to this podcast um, because that's how we grow. And they can also use our social media to join in on the conversations. As you guys know, we're always doing the blend games and people are arguing about uh, the different parameters of our different blend games and they're weighing in with those. But tell people if you think that they are movie fans and would dig the kind of conversations that we have, spread the word. They can find us. In addition, we're always plugging the Apple Podcasts, but you can go to Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all the different places where you can find and download podcasts. So help us grow the show. Uh, Talking points. We're going into this week's news. And last week, Jake and I discussed the scant details we received out the new Christopher Nolan, but we can't go beyond that adjective. asking Kevin, thank you, uh, his opinion of, so Kevin, the new Nolan has a name. It's called Tenet. Yeah. Uh, and we're learning that it's uh, set in the world of international espionage. Yeah. Like globe trotting. And so someone said it's instead of taking over the Bond franchise, Nolan might potentially be doing his own version of Bond. What is your gut reaction to what you're hearing about the new Nolan? Well, I mean, there's no question that I'm beyond excited anytime he releases a film because he very, he's very careful and very uh, particular about when he releases his movies, how often he does them. Like, was it once every two to three years, kind of like Quentin Tarantino? Yeah. Um, and to me, that means that they put a lot of thought into their filmmaking, a lot of thought into what they're doing. Uh, I'm loving, loving that Robert Pattinson's finally getting recognized for the brilliant actor that he is. Um, I think Good Time was a movie that really uh, showed his true colors as an actor. I mean, listen, mm-hmm. Twilight was what put him on the map. And I'd say what you want about those movies, but you know, you can't hold an actor to one franchise for forever. I mean, the guy has amazing range. And I think that Nolan sees something in him. Obviously, Matt Reeves sees something in him. And I, I, I don't think that we've recorded a podcast since it was official that mm-hmm. Reeves confirmed, confirmed Pattinson as Batman, but I think it's a brilliant choice. Uh, I'm very excited about it, and I trust a lot in Matt Reeves. So very similar to Chris Nolan, you know, I have no question. John David Washington's performance in Black Klansman was genius. Yeah. And I I, I just can't wait to see what Nolan does here. And, and here's the beauty of Nolan, original content. Like, it's original. It's his movie. Yeah. Um, it'll be unlike anything we've ever seen, I'm assuming. Uh, I mean, think about Nolan's movies. Have any of them ever been similar? I mean, besides the Dark Knight trilogy, they're no. pretty much all... I mean, who else can get a World War II film greenlit for a summer release about a British story? Right. Yeah, no, it's true. You sell a movie on Nolan's name. So I'm all in uh, before anytime, even when they just released the just the name Chris Nolan and Tenet. I don't do we know what Tenet means yet? No idea. I wondered if it was going to be the character's name. Who? Would that be John David Washington's character? Who's the lead? I think John David Washington is the lead because we ran a cast list on Cinema Blend and we led with Robert Pattinson and the studio asked us to reverse their order. Like they asked us to switch John David Washington more to the top of the story. And I wonder if Nolan's – so Nolan originally started off as his own cinematographer on Following and then he picked up Wally Pfister and Wally Pfister did uh, Memento, Dark Knight Trilogy, Insomnia, uh, Inception and then he jumped over to a guy named Hoyt Van Hoytema. So I'm very curious if – Hoytema is going to be back for this? Hoytema is back, confirmed. Okay, so, so he's back. Um, yes. Is Zimmer confirmed? Uh, no. Uh, Ludwig Goranson. Oh, the guy who did um, Black Panther. Yes. Oh, oh wow. he's he's and doing the Fruitvale score? Station. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's amazing. the Rocky franchise, Creed, Creed 2. I think I did read that somewhere because Zimmer just finished Dark Panther. Phoenix. 
Um, and Zimmer, which is a and, great score, by the way. Which is a great score. And then Lee Smith, the editor that's, that that Nolan works with, edited Dark Phoenix. So it's almost like Kinberg pulled over some Dark Phoenix people uh, or um, uh, Nolan people. Some Nolan but, people. Yeah, I'm. I, I don't know. I'm. I'm super curious. I, I do wonder what happened with him and Wally Pfister, though. Uh, I know Wally went off and directed Transcendence, right? And then they never worked together again. I don't really know what happened there. Wally shot his like. I mean, I will, but Hoyt shot my favorite Nolan movie, Interstellar. So I'm kind of, uh, I like both of them. Yeah, they're fantastic. So, yeah. all right, so, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I Kevin, the Jake, real question is, are you going to start yeah, right. ending each episode with Tenet? Well, that's the thing. Like last week, I listened to the <laughs> podcast and Jake made that joke. I don't know. I, just, I still know. I wasn't joking. He was a legit concern. It doesn't have the Dunkirk ring to it, though. Well, not with that attitude, it doesn't. All right. Well, let's see how Tenet it is first. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be amazing, but well, you know, um. I just Dunkirk. want to. I just want to note that uh, while we've been talking, I pulled up Wally Fister's IMDb. Yeah, this is really sad. He hasn't done anything since since then, right? He did Transcendence in 2014. Right. Then he did two TV series. He did something called Flaked for four episodes, mm. and then he did The Tick. But the oh, The Tick did have a live action. That's right. It did have a live action. It's an animated movie. Then he did a video short. For Taco Bell, <laughs> Web of Fries. Oh yeah, I did see that franchise yeah. wars. Yeah, what the hell has happened to Wally Pfister? Someone needs to figure this out. It's funny because I used to have a radio show, and Wally used to call in a lot. And I remember right. uh, Inception. It was right around Inception time, so I, I had him on to talk a lot about the film, the cinematography, and that. But I. Do you think something happened with him and Nolan? Dude, like he hasn't the, even DP'd anything since Dark Knight Rises. Was there a falling out? I mean, like, like I don't... But no one's working with him. Why not? But I don't know. That's, that's interesting. What, do you think that in order to do uh, Transcendence, do you think he he ticked off Nolan? Do you think he turned that's, him down? Yeah, because Possibly? Interstellar was affected by that. But Hoyt Van Hoytema came in and just crushed it. So I don't know if... Do you think maybe Wally is mad that no, that I don't know. I don't know. Like, there's got to be some drama. But like, why there. wouldn't he be working with anyone else? I want to get Wally know. Fister on this show. Someone I could, I, we need to get Wally on the show. We need to figure out what the hell's you going on. You probably have him in your phone. I wouldn't be I surprised. do have Wally's number on my phone, but I, I, I haven't him texted text. him in, in years. It'd be amazing if you just shot him a text and be like, please come on and tell us why you're not working. <laughs> or just text back. Just what happened, man? I'll text him right now live and say, hey, Wally, we're having we're talking about you right now. Yes. Um, Why did I, you do the Taco Bell short? There he is. This is, this is the last time we talked. <laughs> uh, that was the, I mean, that last time him and I texted was what date was this? Oh, it was February. Oh, you know what? Last thing I sent him was me was me at the Inception uh, set piece in Paris. Oh, that's awesome. Where the scene where DiCaprio and Ellen Page are opening the mirrors. Yeah. And he responded back with, believe it or not, mirrors were real. We removed, we removed me and my handheld camera in post. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. That's wild. Um, yeah, Ask so him I'll, about the Taco Bell show. All right. Hey, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll just send him a taco emoji and put question mark. <laughs> yes, no, no. In, in all honesty, though, I, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I think Wally's a genius cinematographer. And I, I, I do wonder what happened. Like, uh, because he hasn't, yeah, Rise was the last movie he shot for Nolan. And now it's it's weird, right? Yeah. Oh, it's very weird. He's uh, extremely talented. And do you not think be out of work he took a break on? I, I kind of go back to Jake's point. The transcendence thing is interesting to me. But didn't Nolan produce Transcendence? Yeah, I thought so. So thought I so. don't know what happened there. It's really and Warner Brothers put me. it out. So. And Wally won an Academy Award for Inception. Yeah, he won the Oscar for that movie. There you go. 
So we'll get to the bottom of that. If anybody happens to know, if anyone's listening to us and knows what happened to Wally Fister, please fill us please in. Please let us via know. Social media. Wally, right. if you're listening. Yeah, yeah Wally, I'll, if you happen to be listening. Uh, speaking of crushing it, the Ford versus Ferrari trailer. Oh I was, I, I mean, I was moderately interested in this because of the cast and the fact that James Mangold is directing. And that first trailer dropped and was jaw dropping. I thought it was tremendous. Did you guys like it? Yeah. I mean, I honestly, everything about that movie kind of falls into my realm of a, a must see. I mean, uh, I didn't realize how badly I wanted to see Bale and Damon on screen together until right. I saw Bale and Damon on screen together. And it was actually to the point where I actually kind of paused and went, they've been in a movie together, haven't they? And I kind of had to rack my brain and go, no, they they, they haven't. And then well, the, just the story itself, I mean, I don't know a lot about that history. I don't know a lot about that particular race. Um, so it'll be nice. I kind of am going to avoid uh, as much about that story as I can going into it. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of just learning about it in the best way that movies can do. And then I'm sure learning the real actual story. Um, and then, yeah, Mangold has, within the last couple of years, really risen uh, in my ranks of directors who I pay attention to whenever they put a movie out. I mean, Logan is a top five superhero movie for me. And yes. uh, and I'd say 310 to Yuma is one of the best Westerns of the last 30 years. Um, so I'm I'm all everything about this movie uh, checks it checks off uh, the, the must see boxes uh, on my mm -hmm. list. Yeah, it's pretty awesome in the trailer when you see from the director of Walk the Line and Logan. Those are like two. That guy has a sick resume. Like, yeah. he, didn't he do Girl Interrupted? Did he do that? Am I wrong? Uh, on that? Yes, he did. No, he did. He went from Copland to Girl Interrupted. <gasps> then he did Kate and Leopold. Um, did, and he Identity. Did night and day. He did Night and Identity. Day. Is amazing. I love Identity. Identity is amazing. amazing. One of the best twists. That that twist blew uh, my mind. I love mind. that. Oh. Great last shot too. Yeah, Identity is amazing. I don't even know if I remember Identity. Oh, uh, John oh, Cusack. So good. Is, is that King? Uh, no, no. Jake, is that Stephen King? Okay, all right, all right. But it's like As I was um, going up it, the stairs. I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. I wish, I wish he'd go away. Oh, so good. It, Chills. You know what's chills. interesting about identity is that when I, I when I saw Bad Times of the El Royale, it reminded me of identity. It did have, yeah. Well, just anytime yeah. at this point now, anytime I think of a, anytime I see a motel, hotel. I think of identity. Or I guess yeah, I, identity is like one of the is Amanda, isn't Amanda Pete in that one too? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Amanda a Pete, great Ray Liotta, movie. John Cusack. Oh my god. Yeah. You guys are all in an identity. I never thought we would discuss so identity good. on today's show. No clue. And it's a kind of a, it's kind of an underrated movie, Jake. I guess it is, it is. It's super I underrated. Yeah. yeah, super underrated. I, whenever I, I was, I, I was a about, I was a film critic for the newspaper at that point. I was still, I mean, I was doing top ten lists. I didn't have access to the movies and wasn't able to see as many uh, when I was at what I was sixteen when that movie came out as I do yeah. now, obviously. But it made my top ten list that year. It was I'm awesome. Ask you, were you a teenager yet? <laughs> oh yeah, just barely. Jerk. Uh, the only thing I worry about <laughs> Ford versus Ferrari is that it has like a the whiff of Rush. Like I got really excited for. Rush. I loved and Rush. Not, no, no, no. Not that Rush is a bad movie, but it was just like it, it was kind of just what I thought it was going to be, right? And I hope Ford versus Ferrari. That trailer. Why looks do great, you hate Ron Howard? But I want no. I don't hate Ron Howard. Well, he ruined. I think the Dark you Tower. hate Ron Howard. You ruined the Dark Tower. I did not ruin the Dark Tower. I have a great version of Dark Tower in my head that nobody will ever see. They need to, HBO needs to do the Dark Tower. I feel like HBO is my answer to everything at this point. Instead of they need to make a movie about that, my answer is just give it to HBO. Like, like we, uh, to Neil, Neil Gaiman's Sandman needs to be done by HBO. 
Yeah. When are we going to start realizing that that Rolling Stones track needs to be stopped used in trailers? It's just it's just way yeah. too many times. It's like it's like it feels like a cliche now, and I and I love that track. And didn't like Scorsese use it amazingly in Depart- Departed, right? But yeah, I, I just see. I argue when he used it in Departed, that was lazy because it was him sort oh. of riffing on himself. I liked yeah. it in The Departed, but I, but I I do think that that trailer song is. As as much as I love that song, the trailer is brilliant. It's one of my favorite trailers I've seen in a long time. So I, I kind of give it a pass, even though that song kind of sticks out like a, a like a sore thumb at times. Even though I love that track, oh, um, and but, credit to the Rambo movie for being the first trailer to use that stupid what is that stupid song? You know what? Know? It uses it well. Old Town Road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what Wait, it's called. Wait, Rambo? There's a trailer the, the, for Rambo? Yeah, uh, La- Last which, Blood. Okay, Last I think Blood Last Blood, Blood is an amazing title. Yeah, oh, it's a great title. But it's a great I, title. I didn't know they released a trailer for it. I was on yeah, vacation. Yeah, the trailer uses uh, Old Town Road. Is it? You awesome? should watch the trailer. It's pretty I, great. I, to me, it perfectly <laughs> sums up just yeah. how absolutely ridiculous that movie's going to be. <laughs> I didn't like. I didn't like Rambo though. Like the the, the not the original, but the no. The, Hyper violent. You know what's that, great? That, like that, 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 that was, is a series that got really far. I, mean, I, I took a movie sociology, a film sociology class in college, and we studied First Blood from the um, viewpoint of uh, like a soldier with PTSD. I mean, it was a really serious movie about oh, a guy yeah. dealing with PTSD. My my dog Daenerys agrees. Um, yes. And and then it just sort of turned into look how many <laughs> people Stallone can kill. Right yeah. in Rambo, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, in Rambo one he only kills one person, right? Um, I think that's probably accurate. Right? Yeah, and then yeah. in that, and that, it's not a high that, body count. And that recent one, whatever the whatever that was called, I think it was just called Rambo, wasn't? It? I don't it remember was. what it was called. That movie Maybe was, was like John Rambo. Was it called John Rambo or just Rambo? I Every, thought it was just Rambo. It was just it was unnecessarily brutal. Like <laughs> it really, yeah. Like it made no sense why it was that violent. And like to me, that was a movie that just really got went. You know what? We're rated R. We're just gonna kill a bunch of people. I'm like, which I feel like this one's gonna be too. I don't know. Like, does it look super violent in the trailer? Yeah, it, it, it kind of looks like the the trailer for Logan. Oh, it's sort of like you know, like if, if Logan is like old man Logan, this sort of looks like old man Rambo. Is Stallone well, directing it? Yes, I think so. But I'll also say this. You know how in First Blood, like, he essentially lures everybody into the woods and then picks them off one at a time? Yeah. It has that feel, but he lures this Mexican cartel back to his, like, Texas ranch and picks them off one at a time. It blows my mind. And he rides a horse. He he only kills one person in the first Rambo. Well, because that's not what the first Rambo was about. I know, but, 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 but when you think the name Rambo, you think action and violence. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, and the, the fact that he killed one person in the first Rambo—it's pretty wild. I mean, Gabe tells me that Last Blood is directed by someone named Adrian Grunberg. I don't know who that is. What no else idea. has he done? I don't uh, know. He's brothers with Greg Grunberg. That's that's Wally Fister's new uh, pseudonym. <laughs> All right, so I know we. I, 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 I know we. Uh, that's funny. I know that we um, steered away from Ford versus Ferrari, but uh, I do have a question. Um, the V in the middle, the title. Uh, yes. I understand that that what that means, but like that it it just bothers me. Just say verses, I verses, mean, I, or or I don't know. I like I the V. I don't love it, but it's I Batman. I like the V. So do yeah. wait, do you do you call it Ford v Ferrari? Is that the title, or is it Ford no? Because but like doesn't V also stand for verses, just like VS does? But why was that everyone called Batman Batman v Superman? Yeah, they I do. never called it Batman v Superman. I call it Batman. Neither did Superman. I. But I think I call that it that v, all the time. 
Uh, did you? I saw another name for they're, they're or both, BVS. They're both BVS. Are they the gonna same s- thing? Is Mangold's movie going to become FVF? But why isn't uh, it? Yeah, why isn't it <laughs> Ford VS period Ferrari? I, like, I think says, to me V looks cleaner because comic book nerds are annoying like that. Who dismisses <laughs> it as that trailer is incredible. <laughs> the, by the, the way. best part of what just happened yeah. is that Gabe sent that message. And then in the video at home, I know you can't see it. He's dying <laughs> laughing at his own joke. <laughs> that was the he's, best part. He's laughing. Well, he's added something to the notes, it. but I'm not going to read it. And that's just going to make Gabe sound foolish. Um, speaking best part of, people, of that trailer, by the way, is the ending when he's driving that guy and he like he and the guy starts crying after they finish yeah. the run. Oh yeah, that, is that really part funny. is awesome. I, I'm really funny. Really, I had no interest in that movie whatsoever until that trailer hit. That trailer is it'll amazing. be a Toronto. So, I guess it's gonna be a Toronto, right? Okay, I, I was just about to ask you. So, um, and maybe this is a little bit uh, inside baseball. Did Mangold do Mangold did Night and Day, right? Night and Day was a Fox movie directed by Mangold that involved two big stars and a bunch of cars and we ended up getting in cars with them and driving all over the place. I got in the car That's and drove with, with, I don't know, with Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz. What are the chances that Fox tries to do something similar with us and puts us in a car with Matt Damon or puts us in a car with uh, Christian Bale? I just can't imagine Christian Bale Well, because the movie that. comes out in November, so will it be in Toronto? Uh, yes. But I can't so. imagine, can you imagine? That, Bale that feels early. Bale wouldn't play around like that, would he? I feel like he would, man. The bail that I just saw a couple of weeks ago here in Chicago would do that. The bail that I interviewed for Mowgli was a different bail that I interviewed for Vice. That's Jake, fair. You got him for Vice, yeah. and he was very serious okay, that day. Let me, let me rephrase. Matt Damon would do that. Matt Damon would do it, for sure. Yeah. And Matt Damon, I mean, like, do we know it? Are they the ones that are doing the stunts? The I, stunt I mean, I, I, I was wondering. Them, I could see them learning how to do the stunt driving. Possibly. I don't think Damon's doing like, I, I mean, I would imagine that when they go inside the car, that's them clearly. But I yeah. think the outside the car stuff, there's no way. Right. I mean, like, okay. I don't, all right. I'm, I'm going to put money down now. What are we? Eight, eight months out or so. Uh, I'm going to put <laughs> money down now that we do something cool with those stars other than, than sit in a hotel room and talk to them. I'll okay. tell you why you won't. Because it's Disney now under the Fox banner. Uh, it's true. Mm. You By the way, L.A. junket mm. <laughs> and you will like it and you will like it. This just reminded me of something. And I don't remember um, if I don't want to I don't want to misquote him. But I remember it, uh, having the privilege of interviewing Paul Walker for the Fast and Furious six movie. I think, you know, Jake, you were there, too, in London, London. And I think Paul Walker said something along the lines of like I asked him about the difference in shooting the first Fast and Furious to the sixth Fast and Furious. And he said that when we did the first one, they let us do more stuff. Like, they let us do more stunts, more of the driving. And as the movies got bigger and bigger and bigger, we got to do, we have to do less, less, and less. Yeah, and I have a hard time believing that got... Damon and Bale were doing a ton of that driving. I don't know. Yeah, but I also, like, I'm so, I don't think Paul Walker was at the date. Like, like, Damon and Bale are at that point in their career when they, they, where they can go, look, if I want to drive, I'm going to drive. No but one's going to tell Christian Bale. I, I just don't think anyone's going to tell Christian Bale and Matt Damon no. I think the, I think they straight up go, fine, then, then, I mean, granted. And they might not want to do it, but if they want to, I, I think they pull the, then fine, then we're just not going to do the movie. I, I think when, they tell uh, the studio Bruce what Willis they want to do. said to the, uh, the folks at, Fo- at Fox, um, okay, great, so who's yeah. going to play John, <laughs> John Exactly. There, there, there's a certain <laughs> point in your career where you can do that. 
And I don't, yeah. I'm not entirely sure Paul Walker was ever at that point before he passed. Well, Walker at that point, six movies in, he was the franchise. Him and Vin Diesel were the franchise. Yeah, Paul but as we, have, as we are now seeing this summer, that franchise lives on without any of the original people. Sure. Very true. Sure. Very true. Good point. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to franchises that are trying to live on uh, and struggling a bit. So Godzilla opened to number one. But a soft 47 million. I mean, I know that's still a good number, but not when you're ah. a gigantic franchise picture and that you open less than the 2014 movie that that yeah. launched you. Uh, Kevin has a not been able to less. see Godzilla what, it was almost yet. 50 million less? Yeah, 20, uh, yeah. 2014 was, Godzilla did 93 million. Um, I, I haven't seen the film yet, so I'm going to let you guys riff on it. But I want to mention one thing, and I know you guys probably know the movie, but uh, Mike Doherty, the director of this film, um, made a brilliant uh, horror film years ago called Trick or Treat, and I think oh, uh, I love Trick or Treat. And I know people yep. have seen it probably in our circles. Everyone who loves movies that you know mm-hmm. maybe like has gone through his filmography, but there are a lot of people who don't know what that movie is. Um, it's one of the best horror films ever. It's like it's really uh, good. Anna Paquin's great in it. It's freaky. Um, it's a mul- it's multiple storylines. Um, very well done. He also did Krampus, which I actually thought was pretty well done as well. Yeah, I never saw um, that. But, uh, Trick, Trick or Treat, treat is what I is wished scary, awesome. scary stories to tell in the dark was emulating, rather than yeah. rather than the ghost or what is it the goosebumps like oh like these yeah. stories are coming to life from the book sort of thing, which I think is stupid. I wish they just just do an anthology of stories and have kind of a loose connection between each one. It was just just that's amazing. But yeah. why, why? I guess I, 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 you guys can get into your thoughts on it since you guys saw it, but. I just when they when that trailer got released, I know they were trying to build up to Kong versus Godzilla. Eventually, I think that's the next one they're doing. Which I don't um, think we would have gotten if they weren't already in production. That's what I'm wondering. Like, like I just don't know anybody who wanted to see another Godzilla movie. And forty nine million dollars, forty six seven million dollars is, you know, it's not a bad chunk of money. But look how much money yeah. it made worldwide. It did like 130 yeah. million worldwide or something like that. But I think it did like um, well, that, did it? I thought it did more than that. Maybe it did on, 160. I think it did 160 worldwide. Okay. 181 worldwide. So, I mean, I don't know. You guys saw it. What did you guys think? Um, go ahead, Jake. I, I texted Sean after I saw it and essentially described it as the stupidest movie I've ever seen that I kind of liked. I mean, you, you, let's be honest. No one's going into those movies for the human element. And the human element was so unbearably stupid and <laughs> so unbearably boring that while it was just the humans on screen, and, and I love Kyle Chandler, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. But while the humans were on screen, I was convinced that I hated the movie. I was like, I, I hate this movie. I want to get up and walk out. It's horrible. But <laughs> while, but when it was monster on monster action, I was in. And, and I'm not entirely sure there was enough of it. And there were some moments where I felt like Kevin watching the Battle of Winterfell episode where I was kind of like, what the hell is going on? What, what, look at all the, I can't see anything from the snow. But uh, I, I, I really enjoyed the parts that I paid to see, which yeah. was the, the monster on monster action. It made me feel just like an eight-year-old kid. Um, you know, I was talking to my buddy Chase about it, who brought up a really interesting point. And I don't want to – the reason I preface that is because I don't want to say this is my own point. But it's that we, we – I think we as an audience right now, we love that – we love the character of Godzilla. But do we really love Godzilla movies? Because yeah. the movies that have really been released in our lifetime, I mean, do it like do any of us really love any Godzilla movie, or do no. we just like the idea of Godzilla? Which I, I thought. Don't even which know would, if I like the idea of it. I don't even know how into like I don't have to see any more Godzilla movies ever again. 
True. I, I just I've never felt like in a Godzilla movie what the experience of a Godzilla attack would look like from the perspective of a human. Like imagine you're on the ground and you look up and you see a thousand foot like that should be terrifying. And yeah. that's what I really liked about Kong Skull Island. In fact, the, 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 that's I actually love, love Kong Skull Island because it put the perspective it, it gave me the idea of what would that if I were human on that island with an ape that big, what would that be like for me? Like I felt when he grabs that helicopter and kind of shakes it, that I yeah. felt like, oh my God, that was, I mean, and they do a lot of really great shots that gave me persp- human to, to beast perspective. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why yeah, I think that's most successful. Hiddleston in like the smoke. Yeah. Going through the bone. That movie's, yeah, yeah. that movie's awesome. Yeah. Like that, yeah. That's, that's the opening. Example where like the, yeah. the human story doesn't have to be boring. Those humans were in, it was, it was apocalypse now with King Kong. Like, yeah. you know, like, yeah, normally the human story is stupid, but it doesn't have to be. That Vietnam opening, was it Vietnam, right, where they were yeah. fall out of the sky? And oh, they, like, yeah. don't they, that, that, and they land, and then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's John right. C. Riley's right. character. That, that was awesome. That yeah, that was had, cool. That was very, like... It was, I, yeah, Apocalypse Now, Full Metal Jacket, the vibe on that thing was awesome. It was really well done. It's just really hard to critique a movie. Um, like Godzilla King of the Monsters, because there's a sequence in this, and this is mildly spoilerish, but if you're if you've made it this far, you really don't care. Um, where they use a nuclear bomb, they go 600 miles deep in the ocean and use a nuclear bomb to revive Godzilla because he's temporarily dead. All right. And if that's in your movie, then you don't really care whether you're <laughs> stupid or not, right? Like you're yeah. you're just yeah. throwing caution to the wind and. And it's played for like seriousness. Like Ken Watanabe has to do it, and he's he's treating it very sentimental. That he's like bringing Godzilla back using a nuclear. Bomb. How's Millie Bobby Brown? She's fine. She's is fine. she is she a star in it, or is she like barely in it? Uh, she's, she's in it. No, quite she's a bit. in it. She's in it. I mean, uh, Sean, did you feel like this movie had no sense of geography? And I say that oh, in the yeah. sense that a character would be at one place. Yes. We cut to someone else, and then when we came back, the, the character that we just saw was in a completely different place. And I, yes. kind of, and I get that, like, yes, a movie like Godzilla, you can't really think of it in terms of logic. But there are moments where I went, how did you get – like, there's one moment where Millie Bobby Brown is escapes this facility in what looks like the suburbs or the outskirts of Boston. How they oh, got to Boston when we to be, last yeah. saw them in Antarctica, I don't know. But they're in yeah. Boston. Right. And the next time we see her, she's on the rooftop of Fenway Park. Yeah. And I just yes. went, how did you get, like, one, how did you get all the way to Fenway? Much yeah. less <laughs> at night, where I'm assuming the ballpark is locked up. How did you get to the roof of right. Fenway? <laughs> right. I, I just, well, I just there's, there's not, a lot of, not, not a lot of good sense of geography with this movie. There's something interesting happening in what you just said, and I think it's fascinating, because, like, there's a line... That we all cross of suspension of disbelief where yes. we, okay, we are, we buy in that Godzilla exists. So we buy yes. in that he's fighting. Um, <laughs> right. And like, and I think right. it's like the Fast and Furious movies. You have to buy into the ridiculous nature of the action. Yes. Sure. But yes. like, for example, what Jake just said reminded me of the ending of Fast and Furious 6. Um, my biggest problem with Fast and Furious 6 was how long that runway was. And, yeah. and, it was, and, and yeah. like someone did the math of what, what, and like, here's the thing. I'm not, tr- <laughs> I'm not trying to. It's a 30 minute long scene. Yeah. It's a long <laughs> scene. 
And the plane's going like 500 miles per hour. It must have been like a 26 mile runway. I think someone actually mapped it out. But my, and it was like my, just across Europe. Right. But my point is, my, my point about that is, like, I remember being critical about that. And then people were like, oh, you're being that guy. I'm like, no, 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 no. I have no problem with cars skydiving in Fast and Furious 7. I have no problem with them dragging a bank vault behind cars. That, that, I buy into that. Yeah. There's something bothered me about that runway scene. And I think yeah. it's it's what we allow. Like, Jake being bothered by the Fenway thing is interesting because we're, we buy into Godzilla existing somehow. But we don't allow certain things. And I, I find that interesting. I, the runway thing bothered me so much, it made me dislike the ending of the film. But see, Kevin, I, th- I find it interesting that you say that, considering that was the big argument that the three of us had when it came to us. Right. And see, but the things about us that bothered you didn't bother me. So like, it, but, it, but, it was, but it was that, that idea that even a fantasy film needs to be based it within real world rules and the idea some, that Billy Bobby Brown cannot get from the suburbs of Boston to the top of Fenway Park in one cutscene. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but but us is sci-fi and Fast and Furious is is real life. Meaning that like it's not like what, uh, what, I, what I mean what I mean though, no but in reality yeah Fast and Furious I need parameters. Is, no, I'm talking about <laughs> Fast and Furious is grounded. Is it yeah. not a real life yeah. story? Sure. There's no like doppelgangers and, and people coming up from the bottom of the earth. I mean, yes, the action is ridiculous, but it's yeah. not not practical. Um, I got to point out a, a, a continual uh, or continuity thing that struck me that, Kevin, I know you're going to love because it's one of those examples that like these things have been happening forever and we just maybe never notice them with a critical eye. But I was watching um, Commando. <laughs> I love And Commando. the moment when he... Uh, Hits the guy uh, and and breaks his neck breaks on his the neck, plane. Dead tired. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's one line. Nah, the the couple sitting in front of him first off doesn't <laughs> flinch. Like they don't bat an eye. Arnold hits this guy so hard that he snaps his neck and he dies. And the couple still like reading their magazine, hanging out. Um, then That's Arnold amazing. gets up. And to be the, fair, have you ever been on an airplane? Do you know how badly I don't want to talk to people on airplanes? No, I would probably I have just sat there like, silently. He doesn't get up. He asks the stewardess for a pill and a blank and he tucks the guy in. He does. But then he gets up out of his chair <laughs> and he's going and the lady's like, sir, you're on an active runway. Like oh, you have to get right. back to your chair, right? And he goes, I, I'm airsick. So, oh, yeah, he yeah, goes, yeah. so he goes to wherever, someplace on the plane where there is a door that he's able to go through, right? right? And he jumps and off into the marsh. Yes, but he's going into what, like, is, like, the luggage container somehow? Yeah. So, like, he's suddenly he's underneath crawling through, and he gets to a wall that he's able to, like, chop through with his knife yeah. to get to the landing gear underneath. And it, this is the same thing. I was watching, I was like... Well, how long is he on that runway? And how, where was that door that took him to the luggage area? Yeah. It took me completely out of the scene. But for some reason, that never bothered me. And I haven't. Commando is probably my favorite Arnold movie because Terminator Two is my, I think, his best. And overall, I think T Two is my ultimate Arnold film. But Commando. The line you're referring to when he breaks that guy's neck and says, "Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired." That is arguably one of the God, greatest moments. It, 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 and that's also, it's funny you mentioned luggage because then later on in Eraser, he has that line where he, I think he kills like an alligator and says your luggage or something like that. <laughs> it's like really, like there's just so many, like only he could get away with that stuff. Um, but, well, it's a bummer that I feel like we've, like that era of, of those lines has passed. And we talked I about know. this when we did, uh, you know, the, the one-liner blend 
But you can't you can't do that in movies today. Like movies are too they take themselves too seriously. You can't have one like at, that anymore. Look at True Lies, for example. Like I don't know. I, don't I can't know. because it's not on any digital formats. I know, but it's funny. I I've actually had to um, now if I take an international flight, United uh, they used to have True Lies in HD. I'd watch it on there. But uh, in True Lies, for as serious as that film is, and then comedically, when he drops the "You're fired" line. And blows that guy away on the missile. <laughs> it, but like, but it works. I love that. I, love I don't it. know why, but it yeah. works. I mean, like, there's something about. I, I, Would I you say mid '90s is when we stopped being able to to use lines like that? Probably. Yeah, but I mean, like, do you, could could Arnold pull one off today? Like, I mean, we saw the Last Stand, which was terrible, and he and he tried pulling some off there. I remember asking him at that junket what the art of the one liner was, and I was like, I was like, what is it about? How do you say it and it works? And he's like, it's the way I say it. And he like, mm-hmm. see, I, I don't even think he could do it now because yeah. with, without it being Arnold, do it like it, it. It would be too self-referential at the time. It felt it's organic, and now, yeah. yeah, now it's it's almost like a wink. Like he may as well be like winking at the audience. Like remember Ugh. those when I used to do that. Right. Yeah, I, I don't want to hear him say I'll be back anymore. I'm, t- I'm, I'm uh, done with give that. It to, uh, there's going to be a joke movies. about that in the new Terminator and, too. And T two is my favorite movie ever. And like, I, they're going to give it to right, Linda. Jake. Linda. Linda will say it. God. I don't want. Right. Just don't give anyone that line. Don't someone's going to say. Someone's going to. Someone's going to say it. Don't make Terminator movies. I don't think How Tim Miller. There you go. I get Linda. Linda Hamilton will say it. I get guaranteed. Tim Miller is the only reason I'm excited about that movie. Yeah. I don't think that trailer looks good at all. It looks terrible. All right. Well, here's what does look good. According to Jake, uh, the new series on HBO, Chernobyl. And uh, Jake, did you finish it? Are you done with I it? Did. What happened? Last okay. night was the finale. It's uh, five parts. Uh, I texted the group earlier today asking if I could just talk briefly about it. And I know you guys haven't seen it yet. If you get the chance, don't binge watch it. It's way too way too heavy and, uh, and unsettling to watch in a row. Like watch one and then give yourself a couple of days. But it is better than any movie I've seen so far this year. I mean, the writing, the production value, uh, the the acting. Jared Harris gives one of, if not my favorite, performance this year. It's just, it's, it's just unbelievably haunting, and it's terrifying, and it's unsettling, and it's, it's. I, I mean, I do a a both top ten TV and top ten movie list at the end of every year, and I don't see anything. Uh, taking over Chernobyl for my number one spot. Wow, no it's kidding. Just absolutely unbelievable. Where, where you just, you're screaming at the TV, like how were, how did people allow this to happen? And right. when you find out how they allowed it to happen, you just go like, that's amazing. And he's almost, and you know, it's one of those stories that you grow up, like you grow up hearing about Chernobyl and kind of under, like knowing like, oh, there's a meltdown and it's really dangerous and you can't go there. But the actual – that's really all I knew. But the actual story of not just how bad it was, and it was so far worse than I even realized, but how close it was to being a world – it's a borderline worldwide catastrophe. We were almost at a point where almost all of Europe would have been poisoned and wow. the people of Europe would have been displaced because of this wow. one event. We were, I mean it was borderline Cuban missile crisis close. It was that close. If, if just a couple of things had happened differently, the world would be changed. Okay. Um, I mean, there, there's a famous quote that they talk about at the end of the show where they essentially say that the Soviet Union fell because of Chernobyl, because okay. it showed us just what kind of country they were. Uh, I don't want to give too much into I really I urge you guys to see it. Take your take take the time if it. you haven't already. It's five parts. Well, Each my one's biggest, only an hour long. My biggest question of it was your comments. 
Yeah, my biggest question is just like, does it feel like homework? Like, is it one of those things where it yes, doesn't? It's good. That's what I thought too. I I thought it would be slow and plotting. I really thought that it would take the five episodes to get to the meltdown, and it, the, yeah. the first episode is the meltdown. Wow! And it just it goes. It is it is an easy watch. Um, even uh, even when it gets into the trial aspect and holding people responsible who were responsible, mm-hmm. I thought, oh, this is it's the trial episode. This is going to be boring. But they find a way. To make that captivating, I mean, it 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 never once, and not only does it never once feel like homework. I mean, I I consider myself a pretty smart guy, but I do not understand nuclear science. I won't claim to understand nuclear science, but they explain Chernobyl in such a way. I I, I figured you would, Sean. I know, but they really explain well. it in a really a layman terms kind of way, where I walked away from this going, I have a pretty good idea of what happened. I, if you mm. start asking me like very specific science questions, I'm gonna go, I don't know. But I can explain Chernobyl pretty well by this point. Interesting. I'm a, I, I want to see it based on Jake's reaction. It's unbelievable. I, I, Truly I unbelievable. saw trailers for it during Game of Thrones Season 8. And wait, wait, Jake, did the Deadwood movie hit yet? Yes, yeah, it did. Yes, did it you did. already watch it? I did. I absolutely love You know, for the first time in, my, in, in 13 years of my life, I have closure with the Deadwood story. Whoa, wait, wait, did you? I mean, dude, how are you burying the lead? Did you love it? I, you know what? I, I really did. It, it felt like a really good episode. Um, it gave me no a details, really great, no details. Like, yeah, I'm no details. Watch Deadwood. I haven't seen it, the show. It gives you closure, which is something that I never had uh, from from the from the end of season three. It gives you without getting into too much. It gives you closure, but also a sense of life goes on. It doesn't sound and like you're blown away by it, though. It gave me everything I need. I mean, it's it's impossible to love a show. And then go away from 13 years and come back and expect the entire thing to be wrapped up in two years? hours. 13 years? That's how long it years. was off? It was wow, off yeah. air for 13 years. Plot-wise, oh it's a 10-year gap. Okay. Um, and then to have it come back and expect to be 110% unbelievably sad. Like, if anything, it's not that it, I, I'm disappointed because it's like it's things happened that I didn't want them to or that I was I, – I just wanted more. And But for two hours, that's as happy as I could possibly be. I would have loved for them to give me an entire another season, um, but I did not know this. David Milch is uh, suffering, or, or in the early—I'm sorry, probably not the word suffering—but beginning uh, stages of Alzheimer's. Okay, oh, wow. and and so you know the, he is the only person on the planet that can write that kind of dialogue in that show, and right. I think we are lucky to have g- even gotten this, and we're lucky to have gotten it when we gotten it because it's just as sharp as his original dialogue, you know, was back in the day. And, uh, and I think, you know, we lost, there are a couple of, um, cast members who have passed away. Powers Booth, mm. who was great on the show, um, Man, passed Powers away. Been, awesome. and, yeah. It would have been great to have him in the movie. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's as good as it could possibly be. Okay. That's, I, I, it's so funny. I, I totally even forgot that was coming out on the 31st. Yeah. It just yeah. hit. All right. I need, I need, I need to watch the show, but I'm, I, should I watch Chernobyl first or Deadwood first? Watch Chernobyl because it's less of a commitment. Okay. How many episodes is Chernobyl? Five. All right. And they're an hour long? Yeah, an hour apiece. Okay. I want to watch that. Okay. All right. All right. This week in movies, uh, we all saw Late Night. Kevin, what'd you think of it? Uh, I thought it was fine. Um, I thought that Mindy Kaling's script was incredible. I thought that Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling were great in the film. Um, I just felt that some of it, it, it didn't. 
it felt like a TV movie, if that, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, and it, 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 it's, it's made through Amazon Studios, which, which, which is fine. It's coming out in theaters. But it just didn't feel like um, a cinematic event to me in the sense of like one that you would need to go to a theater to, to watch. Um, yep. The dialogue is very well done. And I think the movie says a lot. Um, but I don't think it's memorable. Um, but I think the performances are fantastic. So it's one of those weird things where... I admire the the art that was used to make the film, but I wouldn't say that I loved the movie. I thought some of it came off a little cheesy at times. But, this was um, my commentary was to you guys after we watched it in we watched it in London because you guys were doing the junket for it. It was during yeah. the Dark Phoenix Rocket Man late night. We deal. watched it back to back with Rocket Man, and I yeah. just said like with you know I, this is going to sound like a slight, and I don't mean it as a slight, but I guess it is. And then I've used this parameter multiple times since then of it just didn't feel like it deserved a shot in the theaters yeah, because it feels really TV sized. And so even things that I've seen since then, like Godzilla, um, like dark Phoenix, the pro they have problems, they have issues. But when I was sitting through them, I always felt like, well, this is at least a movie. A movie you know, theater. This, feel, yeah. this feels like a movie and a late night you could watch on any sort of TNT, TBS, you know, it's and, solid. It's fine. It's yeah. just fine. It's, it's, it's fine. kind of, isn't it? Don't you sort of feel like it's a poor man's Devil Wears Prada? Oh, yeah. Dude, I looked and, over at Jake during the movie. I said, dude, yeah. Devil Wears Prada. And he's yeah. like, yes. Like, yeah. it, 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 uh, like uh, Emma Thompson. And unfortunately, is, I love Emma yeah. Thompson, but she's not as good at, in this she's as Meryl, Meryl Streep was. Yep. And, you know, it's funny that it's an Amazon movie because I feel like the perfect place to probably watch this would be when Amazon. It's Amazon Prime. Stream it. It's like a Sunday yeah. afternoon and, and, you, and you're kind of looking for something yeah. to watch and it pops up and you remember that movie that came out a few months ago. I mean, yeah. it's it's a perfectly fine movie. There, yeah. There's nothing yeah. particularly wrong with it, but there's nothing particularly great about it either. Yeah, yeah. Right. it's fine. None of us, it's like, it's like cheese pizza, right, Jake? It's, oh, it's It's almost pizza. as if John Favreau directed it. <laughs> Satisfying. <laughs> hey, oh, Favreau's a great stop director. It. Yes, come on now. I won't let you speak badly Jungle about Book him. was amazing. <laughs> we might get him oh, on the I'm show. Sorry. Is John Favreau the hill you're going to die on? No, today, but he's not cheese today. pizza. He's a good director. <laughs> today I will. Yes. What kind of pizza is he exactly? He did call on me at the uh, Avengers Endgame press conference, so uh, I, I, I do uh, I do like him. For Jake, doing that. Jake, we might we might get him for Lion King. Stop. Well, Stop I hope it. Disney's not listening to the last 70 episodes of this show. <laughs> I like Jon Favreau, man. I, I like Jon Favreau, he's... too. I also like cheese pizza. But I also have a very – I'm also very excited about Lion King because he's directing it. And the um, Mandalorian, which we saw at Celebration, and looks amazing. I haven't seen the footage for that, but I heard Mandalorian. I'm excited about Lion King. Blah. Wait, Jake, did you see the Mandalorian footage? Yeah, I didn't get to see. I didn't get to go to that. They didn't release that publicly, right? I didn't see that footage. No, yet. no not yet. It's on. Okay. Uh, it's on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel. I always feel weird watching that stuff if it's up there illegally. I'll, I'll, I'll watch when it comes out. Uh, none of us have seen Secret Life of Pets. Kevin's I see it going in two hours. Yeah. All right. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and then Dark Phoenix opens. And before we get to our Dark Phoenix reviews, which we will get into and keep non-spoilery, I want to note that uh, we are about to dive into a very special interview that we recorded. And I teased this on the Twitter feed, and I also teased it at the very end of last week's episode. But when we were in London uh, to do the Dark Phoenix junket, we got to sit down with uh, a very good friend of ours. His name is Ty Sheridan. Uh, plays Cyclops, obviously, in the new film. And Wade Watts! And is also Wade Watts in a, a movie that is beloved by the three of us 
Ready Player One. So without further ado, I want to throw it to our interview with Ty Sheridan uh, on behalf of Dark Phoenix and, of course, some Ready Player One conversation in there as well. So we'll put you right here. How did uh, how was your day? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. It's tough sitting in that room uh, the entire day. Yeah. Talking about yourself. Uh, well it's not necessarily about our, you know, ourselves. Like, like, yeah. Let's talk about something you're passionate about, but I mean just fall into a deep state of delirium because uh, Yeah, it's a lot of the know, same stuff, right? Yeah, it's just like you're in a time warp and yeah. does it get easier? Um, I don't. You know what? If the, if these interviews were taking place outside, that'd be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, it's not super convenient. But uh, we've done a few outside. Of yeah. I, no, I've, I've done some interviews outside yeah. and stuff. It's cool. But when I uh, talked to you for Ready Player One, though. Just have you and Spielberg together. That must have been like a crazy cool day. No, that was cool yeah, because was people cool. just wanted to ask him questions, and everybody's fascinated to, as yeah. to what he has <laughs> you to just say. Sit there and listen to <laughs> yeah, it was like that was that was great. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when I have to do the work, however. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's start with an official thing. So I just want to kick us off right here. Um, we are lucky enough to be sitting down with Ty Sheridan, who plays Scott Summers and Cyclops in the new uh, X Men Dark Phoenix. Ty, thanks so much for joining the Real Blend podcast. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Uh, this is going to be the non spoiler bit um, of conversation. So if you guys have not seen the movie yet, we encourage you to head out this weekend to check it out, um, and we're going to be able to talk safely about the film and the development of it, and then next week you guys can tune back in for a full spoiler conversation, but Jake is going to kick us off. Yeah, the, the X, all the X-Men films use their one F-bomb really well. They always, like, they're very meticulous about who gets it and, and how it's going to be used. Uh, you get it in, uh, in, in Dark Phoenix, and it's it's fantastic. It's a great moment. We're, I think everyone in our audience gasped whenever you said it. Can you talk about the the moment that you found out that you were going to be the one that uh, they got to say it? And is there a weird amount of pressure knowing that you get the one f bomb in a PG thirteen movie? Uh, no, thanks. Yeah, I did get the f bomb. Um, and I, you know, I guess yeah, it's a big deal because. Um, like you said, you only get one in a PG thirteen movie. If there are multiple, more than one, you, you gotta. It's rated R. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. I mean, I think they're they're quite uh, they want to be kind of conscious about who gets it. And you know, uh, in this case, I think it's right before a big battle, and there's quite a, a tense standoff. So I think it makes sense to you know as to where it comes in the in the movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember when Simon said like. You know, you get the F-bomb. Of course, I'd read the script and read that I, I you know, say, uh, you know, I can't even remember the line now. <laughs> but anyway, I remember reading the script and saw that hey, I had the F-bomb. The end of yeah. It, I think. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. I I'll fucking say- kill you. Can we say F-bombs on the podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, sweet. Now. Just got <laughs> only one. Just one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. If we drop a curse word, we get an automatic E, which is cool, because I think the E makes us look cooler. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. 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 Oh, there's two. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, three. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Kevin's got one. No, what did you want to get to? Because I am wondering, though, as you're kind of off Jake's question, on the set, you are fully aware that you are saying the one like you you know yes. that yeah 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 no I was I was okay. aware yeah I mean I don't think I, I was 
that's what I was thinking when I, when sure. I said the F-bomb. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I remember Simon saying, like, yeah, this is the scene, you know, where you say the F-bomb. Yeah, you get awesome. the, the one F-bomb. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I do get the one F-bomb. Cool. <laughs> so, so, like, everyone's, like, sitting there, like, no, he's going to say it. He's going to say it. Yeah. <laughs> so, we're here in London. Um, today, we did the press junket for uh, Dark Phoenix. And one of the things that uh, Sophie talked about, because I was talking to her about her full scope of uh, the first scene she ever shot in Game of Thrones, the last scene she shot in Game of Thrones, and then the first scene she shot in Dark Phoenix, last scene. So, oddly enough, the first scene she said she shot in Dark Phoenix was a scene where she had to make out with your character. Um, and I was just wondering, like, like, when you have to do a scene like that in a movie as her, as her first scene, is that like, do you go to each other and go, this is, this is kind of weird what we do for a living, like, we kiss on our first shot. Like, is that, is that strange? Yeah, I mean, I think as an actor, you know, you just kind of get used to it. Especially Sophie on Game of Thrones. I mean, I, I haven't watched the entire series but isn't yeah. there a lot of sexual oh yeah yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, I mean she has a rough go yeah, sure. right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. but I mean I always okay. wonder like as an actor like like I, I just feel like because there's cameras around it's, it's gotta be like the most awkward thing to shoot things like that I'm assuming. well I mean I think there's that one you know what's even more awkward in the, in the in the rehearsal you know because the way those scenes work or any scene you know, they, they uh, bring you to set and typically they're like, all right, you know, we're just going to walk through the scene and kind of, you know, block it out. And you're saying your dialogue and like going through some of the actions. And then you get to the moment where you're going to make out with yeah. someone and you're like, all right, you know, this is where we make out. And then like <laughs> some people are like, no, just kiss me. You know, like, <laughs> like, oh, but this is a rehearsal. You know, like, <laughs> sorry. Oh, so some of the people actors want to do the kiss. I mean, that's funny. I don't That's know. I've, I've, I've seen it both ways. Um, but no, I mean, it's... <laughs> It's not, I, I mean, it's not, it's not super, you know, it's not super awkward. Of course, sure. like, Sophie and I are super, super close. That's like the um, first scene, it's just so crazy to me, but all right, go ahead. Um, Alexandra brought up a really uh-huh. interesting point in our conversation today that I never even thought about, that in Apocalypse, she very much felt like playing Storm, she had to do it like Holly, yeah, like Halle Berry. Mm. Um, did you ever feel that way with James? And if not, you know, if you did, when did you ever shake it so that you knew that it was, because Scott has evolved a lot, you know, in the 10 years since Apocalypse. And it's very clearly you have ownership over that character. I'm just curious about that process, about when it felt like, no, I'm not doing some, a character that someone else has done before. Now this is my character. Yeah, well, I think it, you know, in this case, uh, you know, in Days of Future Past, they kind of went back and, you know, you get to, now we get to repaint the, the future um, or the, the, time, the X-Men timeline. So I think it's a different, it's a, it's a completely different iteration. Okay. Um, and I, I think that was the way everyone talked about approaching it, you know, and of course, like I love James Marsden. I love, you know, his portrayal of the character and, uh, he was so, um, so welcoming, you know, and, and, uh, really, you know, really nice about me playing the, the character. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think you want to take into consideration who the character is from the comic books, from the previous films, and then, you know, what, what, what and then, you know find the that culmination that is the best character for you know or the best version of the character for whatever whatever the iteration is right mm-hmm. um so i think in in you know i think we were very much or i was very much focused on the 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 shooting draft um mm-hmm. and the, the the script that we were that was our our you know what we we're going off of um you know, and of course, like you, the comic books and all that other stuff is like great for internal use. Um, but I think you got to focus on the, the script and what it is and who the character is. At, you know, what's what's he portrayed like in the in in the movie you're making? What is the vision for, for that? So um, I think that was in that you know that develops over time through conversations and then through the de, you know process of making the film. Um, so you know, it's just uh, it's 
you know, it, it has its limitations because it's a character that a lot of people know mm-hmm. that we've seen in previous films before. But at the same time, you know, I don't think you should feel bound by or, or obligated to play it a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, with everything going on with, with Fox and Disney, I, I, for me personally coming in today as a journalist, I was sort of unsure about how you guys were treating this movie as if like, are we, are we treating this as the finale of the X-Men universe or, or are we just sort of kind of in a gray area where we're going to see what happens for you as an actor today talking about the film? Are you talking about it as if it's the last one in the X-Men cinematic universe or is it just sort of a, we'll wait and see what happens? Yeah. I mean, I don't think we have any control over that. And uh, obviously like this is a very new thing that the, the tur- turnover of the, the IP to, to Disney. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not sure if anyone really knows what their plans are. Uh, so for me to to say or to speculate on whether it's the last film of the franchise or not, uh, I don't know. You know, they, they could, you know, give us a ring tomorrow and say, hey, we're going to make another movie next yeah. summer. or We want to make another movie next summer or, hey, we're going to recast. Can you talk about that just for a bit? When you're contractually obligated to a character in a franchise, how much lead time do they have to give you so that your schedule isn't yeah. totally messed up by... Uh, a movie that you might really want to do, you know, but then of course, like they decide, oh no, we got a script we're ready to go with. You yeah, know, I think, ready. yeah, no, I think that's much more apparent and becomes problematic for people like Sophie or Evan who are, who have been doing, you know, some series for like years and they have done like six or seven seasons right. and they obviously had that before they, they moved into the X-Men franchise. Um, so that becomes first priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yes, yeah, it's so, a good problem to have. No, yeah, it's a great problem to have. And, uh, and, the, you know, the, they're, those two shows are, 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 are great and, uh, you know, massively successful. Um, and of course everybody wants to be, you know, um, precious about, you know, their schedules and get, you know, making sure they have the time to do their shows. And, um, so it can really become challenging when you, when you have also like, I think, you know, this movie, you have Michael Fassbender, James McAvoy, Jennifer Lawrence, Jessica Chastain, you know, Nicholas Holt, some of the greatest actors of our generation and they're very busy. So it's, it's always a a dance with the, with their schedules. Um, and I think, you know, there's, yeah, there's like heads up. Hey, I think we're going to try to make a movie this summer. I think the X-Men has, if you, if you look at it, I mean, maybe it's a little different on, on this film, but, um, it, they typically skip a summer and then shoot a summer, skip a summer, shoot a summer. So, um, that's the way it's been for the past three or four films. I, I think so. I think people, if you, if you're in the franchise, like you know, like James and Michael Fassbender, those guys, I think they probably, you know, just know it's it's coming. Cool. Um, so yeah. You know, earlier today we were discussing um, about how you actually see through the visor and kind of what your blocking situation ends up being because you are seeing like it's the red view through the visor. Um, with Ready Player One character obviously has a visor in certain sequences as well when he's because Ready Player One. No, I didn't make that connection. Yeah, I, I just thought about that. Like I just thought about that. Wow. Um, I, not I was wondering if if uh, so you did you did an X Men film obviously prior to Ready Player One. Right. Then you did Ready Player One. Then you did this. Uh, did right. the visor aspect change at all from film to film did you get used to not being able to i, I guess i never asked you what could you see in the visor in ready player one was there any visual in there uh actually there were a couple versions of the visor that i wear in ready player one i think yeah so like there's 
you know, depending on what the shot was, with whether there was overlay on the glass um, for the visor, you know, sometimes it would be it would be completely empty. There would be no glass at all. You could see directly through the visor, and then they would just paint, you know, in VFX a, 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 a transparent glass with with animated. Um, you know, digital text on on the glass or whatever they wanted to do in post. Um, and then there were times where you had the visor on and there was glass. So it just depends. Like it was a VFX thing, you know, it depends what the what the environment was, what was happening on the visor. For X-Men, I think it became really, um, it's one of the challenges to playing the characters that you can't use your eyes. Um, so that was, you know, just trying to wrap my head around that and figure out how to still deliver you know, a performance that people could connect to without seeing someone's eyes, um, was, was challenging and I'm still not even sure if I got it right, but, uh, um, yeah, it was, and then, yeah, you, the visibility was also an issue. So everything, you know, there's a red lens and it's quite dark, um, because it's a double lens or else they would see my eyes. Mm -hmm. So you're wearing that thing and you got to hit marks as an actor you're moving into a scene and you have to start, stop in a a certain place. And sometimes, you know, all the marks that they would set out look the same color. So maybe they would get Alex pink and, you know, Cody blue. And then I was green, but all of them looked white. (laughs) So, I mean, there were times where you would hit somebody else's mark and you'd have to start the scene again because their tie hit the wrong mark again. (laughs) So I don't know. It became kind of annoying, but, uh, but I don't know. It's also what makes it fun and challenging. All right. So that was our non-spoilery conversation with Ty Sheridan. He also was nice enough to stay longer in the interview and do some spoiler talk for Dark Phoenix. And we promised that we would hold that until after release. And once he knew that we were going to hold it, he opened up and told us some amazing things um, about the movie, stuff that didn't get in. So we'll get into that Next week with Ty Sheridan, uh, you guys are definitely going to want to come back around and listen to some of the spoilery stuff that he revealed about this upcoming X-Men film. Jake, you had something. Yeah, I don't know if you guys remember this moment, but it really stuck with me. And I don't, I don't even know if the, the microphone was going at this point. But for people, for, for context for people for that day, uh, both Sean, myself, and Kevin were all interviewing the cast of Dark Phoenix throughout the day at different points in the day. So I think Kevin had them in the morning. I think Sean had them midday, and then I was in the afternoon. And Mm. so they really, they had no reason to really think of us together. But when Ty Sheridan, I don't know if you guys remember this. Do you remember when Ty Sheridan walked in the room and looked at us three and went, oh, it's you three. As in like, there was just sort of this feeling like, (laughs) of course it would be the three of you together. And it was just sort of like, I don't know if you remember that. And that that moment just really stuck with me because it really made me think that, that even though we are three different points in the day, it almost made sense to him that the three people interviewing him (laughs) At three points in the day, it would be us three together having a podcast. I, that, just, yeah. that moment just I, I, that kind of it kind of tickled me. No, I I remember that very specifically. Him saying that, and I remember because um, uh, I mean I was such a big Ready Player One fan, um, and he came in. It was the, the end of the day. It was five o'clock. He'd been doing press since like ten a.m. Um, came in as if it was like you know the start of his day. He was like super cool about it, um, and we rarely get to do interviews in person uh, together, which was kind of cool. And he was amazing. And Sean teased the spoiler part. There's some really cool stuff in there that yeah. I can't wait for you to hear. It's gonna like it. We were like blown away by some of that stuff that you're gonna hear next week. Um, but we we said we would keep it until after the week of release. So, um, but the interview, uh, uh, the interview with him was cool. It was cool to talk about just Ready Player One. I I know that Ernest Klein's working on Ready Player Two right now. So I'm hoping that 
Spielberg and him come back together for that one. Then I don't know if this is off mic or on mic, but at the end of the interview, we were talking to him, just chatting, and we were, I was asking him, like, oh, I said, um, when you work with Spielberg, like, can you just text him when you want? Like, 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 does he have his number? And he goes, no, we email. And I think yeah. he said they were on some kind of like board together, right? It was like some type of Spielberg's um, on the board for like a foundation that Ty is behind, right? And I was yeah. like, I was like, do you can you text Spielberg? And he goes, we we email. I'm like. Really? Like, and we actually we we asked him in the moment. We we're like, can you, can you text him now? Like, just yeah. text him. We want to see you text. Hey, apparently, his email is Stephen Spielberg at AOL dot com, <laughs> which, I, which I, I have no idea. I'm I like, also what? love that. I love that Ty uh, the way he the way he cursed in the interview. Oh and yeah, then, and then was very quickly like, oh, can I do that? And like, just kept yeah. cursing. That <laughs> was like, great. And yeah. then he kept for the record. He's curse the words. one that got us the E. He for this did. Episode, I think me. we say that in the interview, don't we? Don't yeah, we say yeah. we just got the E because of Ty yeah. Sheridan? But and I also love like over the course of that day, he's got to be really careful about what he talks about. And when he started doing that, that's when I realized he, he was like relaxed. Yeah, yeah, he was relaxed. Oh, and, yeah. and easing into it. So and like uh, Sean and I experienced this when we did the Rooster Brothers. Like there's a gigantic difference when you can go into spoiler territory. Oh yeah. Like the way an interview feels in the like, and Jake was there for Ty Sheridan. You're kind of walking on eggshells a little bit. Um, asking things that you know you can't get into spoiler stuff, but once you can open the floodgates, like when you hear our our interview next week, the spoiler part of it, his his complete it just he just opened up and just went and just went there. Like, it, like oh, there, wait. it feels like you're Hold talking on. to a buddy about a movie. Yeah, it's awesome. There's also and there's a really funny part too because afterwards after the interview we were asking him all these Spielberg questions and then. Kevin, who is the rep from Fox? Is it Todd? Is oh, that his yeah, name? yeah, yeah, yeah. Todd, yes. Todd. Oh, so God. Todd is taking Ty out of the room. <laughs> and Kevin's saying, thanks so much, Ty. Thanks so, thanks for, you know, talking to us. And Ty Sheridan's like, yeah, man, no, it was great. I really enjoyed it. And, and he's on he's his way out. Trying, he's on his way out. And he's also trying to tell Todd, the Fox rep, thanks for your time. So he yells, Todd, thanks, thanks for letting, letting him come by. Thanks for coming. And Ty <laughs> Sheridan turns around as if to say, like, Dude, I know. Like, yeah, yeah, I got it. Thanks. Thanks me. And Kevin's it like, was the no, no, longest I goodbye. Todd. I, I meant Todd. I retract my goodbye from you. The guy walking with you is named Todd. I'm yeah. saying goodbye to him now. Yes, it was the I'm longest, giving you a double most goodbye. drawn out, awkward goodbye. It was, it was like a, it was like that goodbye in <laughs> in, uh, in high school when everybody you start walking down the hallway at the same time together. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I just wanted us to say bye, Sheridan. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, that was I good. didn't tell that story just yeah. to do that, I promise. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Right. Thank you for that, Sean. All right. You know, you know Kevin, when we cut those out of the show last week because you weren't involved and it was an 18 minute show. Oh, uh, yeah. I know. I heard you in, in the podcast that the show was going faster without my puns. So I was, uh, I was, I was trying to lessen them. But if Sean's bringing I didn't them say in, it was a good thing. Uh, I, if Sean's bringing them in, I'm, I'm all in. I'm going to do okay, this is spoiler free reactions to Dark Phoenix. I'm going to kick us off because I want to say that um, I probably like it the most of the three of us. And the reason why I like it and like is a relative term like I it's 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 positive to me. I'd go three stars out of five. Um, and I'm surprised because more press started seeing it last night and the reactions have not been that good. Um, but I, I compare like a lot of people went into it already hating it. Probably. Um, but I compare it to Apocalypse. Which to me is one of the lowest marks in the frame. Like, I, Apocalypse is unwatchable. It's just such a mess, and it's too bloated, and Oscar Isaac is completely wasted. And I didn't like Apocalypse at all. So for me, it's it's a streamlined 
more entertaining version of Apocalypse, but in no way, shape, or form is it anywhere near like the best of the series. It's not Days of Future Past. It's not even First Class um, or anywhere near like X Men and X Two. But to for the X Men action that it delivered, like getting to see a lot of those characters in action, uh, and I uh, to to name Ty Sheridan, I really liked the way he and Alexander Ship and. Um, Evan Peters briefly and Nicholas Holt as Beast. I like seeing a lot of them in action. I don't. I, I don't see the need to keep bringing Magneto back. <laughs> like I don't. You can make an X Men movie without Magneto. Like I made this comparison today in in Cinema Blends chat. The way that they use Magneto in this franchise is almost if like every MCU movie just decided to put Loki in it. Like it didn't matter if it's Spider-Man, like Loki's in it. Tom Hiddleston shows up or they make a Captain America movie and Tom Hiddleston is the villain. Like stop bringing Magneto back. You can physically make an X-Men movie that doesn't have Magneto in it. It's okay. You're allowed to. That's that's a possibility. So but uh, but in general, because it's to me better than Apocalypse, I would I would recommend people go see it, especially if you're a fan of the X-Men franchise. I thought it was, and I think I'm probably the middle of the ground between the two of you guys, which is why I'll go next. I thought it was X-Men. It's 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 middle of the ground X-Men. It's, for me, not even good enough to justify saying that you should go see it on the big screen. I say catch it when it's on HBO. Um, it, to me, it's perfectly summed up by a quick moment between uh, Eric and Charles, where Fassbender essentially says something along the line, I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, Meg, uh Professor X is giving, uh, James McAvoy is giving this big, long speech about why Magneto shouldn't do this thing he's about to do. And Magneto Fassbender replies back, you know, Charles, you always do this. There's always a big fight and then there's always a speech. And I felt like that perfectly summed up where we are right now, where it's just, it's at this point, it's the same thing and we hit the same beats and they say that, that all the same characters say the same thing to each other each time. And there's always this and there's always that. And it just sort of felt like, you know, I, I, I'm kind of done. And, uh, you know, if it takes a while for the MCU to bring in the X-Men, I'm totally okay with that. Uh, I, I don't think it's a horrible movie by any stretch of the amount. We have seen far worse within the universe of X-Men with, uh, definitely with Apocalypse. And I, I think X-Men Origins is probably the worst of the worst. I don't um, even count that. Like, that's not even a real movie. But it's in the same... <laughs> It's the same ballpark. It's, it's it's still there, whether whether we want it to be or not. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I, it's it's fine, but fine in the realm of by no means should you be rushing out to go see it. Kind we of. We are thing. selling tickets to this baby. Yeah. Dark Phoenix. Dark Phoenix. <laughs> Get involved. Ty Sheridan's really gonna can't. He really can't wait to come back on our show after this. <laughs> All right, Kevin. Close us out. Yeah, I wasn't a fan. <laughs> Don't um, think it's worse for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, here's so a couple things leading into my review here. Um, Simon Kinberg, I think, is a great producer. Uh, I don't know why he would take on a monstrous film like this as his first feature film, directorial debut. Um, the the film it's teasing all about it being the end, and I just don't care enough about where we are in the timeline. I mean, Days of Future Past was a masterpiece in regards to the X-Men franchise. I still think X2 is genius, um, especially the opening I think, with Nightcrawler. I think the first X-Men is great. Yeah. The, I like the, the first X-Men yeah. a lot. This one um, just felt like there were no stakes. I didn't really understand where we were in the timeline. It had been so long since I had seen... Um, I mean, Days of Future Past obviously messed with the timeline, so mm-hmm. they can do whatever they want. But, but it, like, if you look at 
Avengers Endgame, you follow it because you've been following it consistently for over 22 movies, um, and they make you care about it. This one, I just didn't really particularly care for any character. Also, the script is horrible. Um, but to Michael Fassbender, for example, that guy can turn bad dialogue into brilliant performance. Like, that guy yeah. is awesome in the movie. Mm-hmm. Fassbender's performance, Fassbender, Magneto's amazing. He has some incredible sequences of action. Um, I just thought that Sophie Turner and Jessica Chastain, who are great actresses, were just like, it felt like they were at a table read. Like their lines just did, did not feel <laughs> emotional uh, as they said them. Um, action wise, the film also felt kind of bland. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that the set pieces were, while he did try to shoot as much as he could in camera, uh, it didn't feel like he achieved much in camera. Um, on the flip side, I thought Zimmer's score was brilliant. Uh, Zimmer's score is the best thing about the movie. It's actually one of my favorite Zimmer scores I've heard in a long time. Probably my favorite since Interstellar, score-wise. The score is so good. Incredible. Like, the score is amazing. Um, And, yeah, I just think that the film, very forgettable. um, But there are, listen, there's things in there I liked. Fassbender is amazing. Uh, McAvoy is fine. They turn, you know, there's just... It just didn't feel like I I didn't need this film. It was unnecessary. Didn't um, you guys sort of get the impression, definitely with Jennifer Lawrence, but but more so with a lot of time, with also with other cast members that no one really wanted to be in the movie. Yeah, I, I kind of yeah, felt like the yeah. actors had checked out a little bit. To be honest with you, it just uh, yeah, it just feels like I don't know. It, it, maybe it's coming out at the wrong time. I just don't think anybody wanted this film well yeah I, I i honestly think and this is why i think mcu could potentially be what the x-men need right now yeah um the reason why i love first class so much is because matthew vaughn got a crack at it it's like a new voice it's been brian singer and uh simon kinberg for better or for worse driving this franchise since day one you know brett ratner only took over because singer uh ditched to go do superman returns um, and then very quickly hustled back to the X-Men franchise. And it's been their voice primarily. And Kinberg, you can say Kinberg directed it, but it's st- it feels very much in tune with the other movies. It's not like yeah, a sure. drastically different take on the X-Men. So I think, yes, put them on the shelf for a little while and then let Marvel come back with, I don't really care who they cast. I don't care who they cast. Get a filmmaker, a, a different voice, you know, yeah. and just reinvent the idea of what an X-Men movie is. Because I agree with you guys, even though I enjoyed it, more than the other ones it's just retreading the same ground visually emotionally you know that we've seen in all of these See, films up this will sound and they're even commenting that they are yeah i yeah. um I, it's definitely better than apocalypse yeah i think brett ratner's last stand is better than this no movie. And I, and I don't even i don't know i think brett ratner's last stand to you know why because it's not the one where magneto moves the golden gate bridge Yes. Yeah. That scene is memorable. I don't remember a single action scene in Last Fe- uh, Dark Phoenix. I just saw it two weeks ago. Um, see, I like the New York Street fight. I I like the train sequence. I think the train sequence is pretty exciting. It's just you know a little it's a little out of place. But dude, Last Stand had Vinnie Jones as the Juggernaut. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm not saying Last Stand's a good movie. <laughs> I, 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 it's I, not. I'm, I'm saying that I think Last Stand's a better film than Dark. Am Phoenix. I allowed to say that Logan is the best X Men movie? Is that cheating? No, it's not cheating at That's all. Allowed. It's an X Men movie. That's allowed. I think Dead, it's allowed. Deadpool is yeah. an X Men movie. I'd say Logan and, and Days of Future Past for me. Yeah. I am surprised yeah, fair. with 
Kinberg's dedication and and work with Deadpool that yes. Deadpool didn't show up in this. I think that would have been really confusing yeah. but, for them. But 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 Kinberg could have made that happen. And I'm just surprised they didn't capitalize on that. I thought that was interesting to me. That's but and there yeah, I mean here's the thing. Dark Phoenix is a problematic film. I think there are things that work and there are things that don't. I'm with Jake. I don't think it's worth seeing in a theater. But if you're a fan of the X-Men movies, I'd maybe rent it when it comes out. But yeah. But hey guys, come back next week for our spoiler talk <laughs> <laughs> with Ty Sheridan. We'll see you then. All right. Yeah. Blend game. Uh sci-fi. So Gabe threw this on us last week. I'm throwing Gabe under the bus for this. Uh, and told us we we're going to play sci-fi blend. I, I like I, these big, overreaching blend games. You do like them? I, I do. Like I them like too. this. I like trailer blend. Trailer blend was one of my favorites. I think we should do poster blend one. at some point. Ooh, that's a good one, too. Um, but what people have been yelling at us on social media, um, and legit yelling at us uh, in an angry fashion, is yeah. that they need parameters. Because the idea of sci-fi is so big, Gabe is disagreeing. Uh, that you almost need to sort of refine it down. And I found myself having this issue also uh, in that certain movies that I thought about, I would make the argument that they are, I'm going to say not sci-fi, even though they clearly have science fiction elements to them. And, And I'll use this as an example in Jurassic Park. If you asked me to, if there were buckets for genres and you had action thriller comedy sci-fi and you handed me a card that said jurassic park and i had to put it into one of those buckets action i i'm not putting it in sci-fi you know this is an interesting conversation i I, I would agree with you i'd probably i mean could to me it's i think of adventure when i think of jurassic park what's funny what's funny about this conversation is I completely agree with you. Like science fiction, the term, yes, uh, the words, as Jake was discussing earlier, completely applies to Jurassic Park. Sure. Um, yes. Yeah. But but don't you uh, think of space? Yeah. Always. Always. Yes. Or machines. It's got to be in outer space. But there's something that doesn't have to be outer space. But like, I think machines are a part Gabe, of. Gabe, you don't get you go you don't get to throw aliens. your hands up in the air if you don't want to speak on the podcast, dude. Close encounters okay. of the third kind. But 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 one thing I want to say though, Jurassic Park is an interesting one because dinosaurs did exist. So it's n- now the idea of how yeah, but it's, back it's the literal fiction. use yes. of the word science. I mean, here's the deal. I sure. I agree with Sean's point. But I wouldn't tell someone they were wrong if they chose Jurassic, but Jurassic Park. Park isn't science. It's interesting. It's, 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 it's a literal <laughs> use of the word science. I know, but but I know. But you're right, though. It would and go. They, they get by on a technicality. I agree hundred percent. When you said it feel like it should take place in space, right? Like that's yeah. I to also me, view science fiction space. as that way. But ex machina is science fiction. And that's grounded. Yeah, and it's that's a good point. Ex machina yeah. is science fiction. Absolutely. But yeah. why is that science fiction? Minority <laughs> Report. That's science fiction. Science fiction. Yeah. 100%. Minority yes. Report. But okay, let me ask a good one for so you So our now. parameters are, we don't know, but we'll tell we you know. if you're wrong. We don't know. Exactly. Um, the Terminator. Science fiction. No Ooh. question. It's time travel. It's like, okay. A, by by definition, you, you, of you would call T2 fiction. a sci-fi movie? Sci-fi action. Yeah. No, pick one. It's science fiction. See, Ooh, to I, me, it's action. To me, that is the greatest I action movie of all time. 
It I is the greatest T2, action movie of all time. T2 but it's not sci-fi. Feels, it is T2, sci-fi. T2 feels more science fiction than the first Terminator. The first Terminator no. to me seems like a straight up thriller. It's interesting because T2. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, see, now I don't know, man. This is like the hardest this, one this, I've ever This done is like life. when Kevin called uh, the T1000 his favorite monster. Favorite that, monster. And that drove me. And I lost sleep yes. over that. That still drives Jake nuts, by that the way. He is an amazing up the freaking monster. Wall. <laughs> up by the, the way, freaking wall. as I sit here in the shadow of my Freddy Krueger glove framed on my wall, that drives me nuts. T1000 so destroys let, Freddy Krueger. By the let's way, let's get into our. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. By the way, I do want to say um, this conversation we're having right now reminds me of the eye opening experience we had when I think it was Alfonso Cuaron gave that speech at the Oscars. Right. About foreign language movies. Love. Oh, that's yeah. One of, that's goes, one of my favorite Oscar speeches up, in a long time. When I grew up, foreign language movies were Jaws, and I think mm-hmm. that, like, that blew my mind, the perspective. Yeah. So, but to think about Jurassic Park being a sci fi movie, I've never thought about that ever in my life. I've never even thought the term sci fi when I think about that. But technically speaking, it and is. well, and so yeah, when I get okay, to my I pick, feel like they're leaning into the word science. And science is a word, and fiction is a word. They each mean two different things. But when you put the two together, it's like, you know, uh, you can have hydrogen over here, and you can have oxygen over here, and they're two different things. But when you put the two together, they're something completely different. They're water. And I feel like if you put the word science and you put the word fiction, even though they mean two separate things apart, when you put them together, they mean science fiction, which is something completely different than Jurassic Park. I yes, agree. I agree. agree with you. Jurassic Park, you could. Don't say actually like it never happens. You're not you're not wrong to call Jurassic right. Park a sci-fi movie, but in the sci- I think all three of us have an idea of what we mean by sci-fi. I yeah, think so too. Wrong, but if you have beers sci-fi. with us when you try to do it, we're gonna sit on the opposite side of the table from you, and we're gonna tell you why you're wrong. Now, someone said Star Wars is more fantasy. Star Wars is sci-fi, dude. It's science fiction. Star Wars is the ultimate science fiction. You I'm got- not saying I disagree with that. But if someone wanted to argue with me that that but, Star I mean, but Wars falls aren't in- all sci-fi movies or fantasy? Fantasy, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, theoretically, sure. All right, let's get to our picks and see if we're able to actually do this anymore. What we chose, and you get to go last, Jake. So I can't wait Woo. to find out what it is. So Kevin, I've been told by Gabe that you go first. Well, you know, when it comes to sci-fi, I think like there's only one definitive answer to this question, and I think that oh. Like, yeah, I mean, there's so many That's amazing Oh, God, you're not about to do it, movies. are you? Oh, God. Oh, what? I want it. What am I doing? Go ahead. No, I, know like, you're I, gonna, I know what you're going to do. Anyways, pick. but to me, when I think about science fiction, like, <laughs> there's one movie I think we all go to. I think Jay thinks I'm going to Interstellar, but I'm not, even though I love no. Interstellar. Um, I Interstellar deserves Interstellar's top 10 sci-fi movies of all time, for sure. Um, but I think, in my opinion, when you think of sci-fi, there's only one movie that should come to your mind. And I think it's the masterpiece starring John Travolta called Battlefield Earth. And I just remember that film blowing my mind uh, with uh, Barry Pepper. Remember Barry Pepper was in that? It was an amazing Horace Whitaker's in that movie. (laughs) That might be the worst movie ever made. It might be the worst movie ever made. (laughs) Um, Until they made Gotti. (laughs) Gotti topped it. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit because Terminator 2 is my favorite movie of all time. Um, yes. So that would, by default, become my favorite science fiction movie of all time, yes. uh, which is the name of the movie that I sent to Gabe. Um, but I think I'm going to go, um, setting that aside, I'm, since I am cheating, um, I'm going to go with The Matrix only because uh, it's 
it was a monumental film. Like Termin- so Terminator 2, uh, in case you're listening to the show for the first time, Terminator 2 is my favorite movie of all time. I was eight years old when I saw it. It changed my life. It's everything to me. It's the greatest sci-fi movie ever made, and no question. But putting that aside, since it's default, and I've done it before for my favorite movie ever, and I've done it for favorite Arnold movie and James Cameron movie, um, I wanted to go a different route and go to The Matrix because when I was 14, um, my dad and my uncle and my brother, we all went and saw The Matrix together. Uh, I'll never forget being in my brother's room on a 13-inch Zenith television with the VHS built into it, uh, seeing a trailer for The Matrix. I think it opened on a Wednesday, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I don't remember for sure, but I think it was a Wednesday. And I remember like the marketing and all you saw was this was Keanu Reeves, like dodging crazy stuff. And then it would end with what is the matrix? And that was like the, that was like the brilliant marketing ploy of it was because what the hell is the matrix? Right. And like, that's the whole point of the movie as well as they're explaining what the matrix is. Um, I remember somehow convincing my dad to go see it. I think because there was like no. I don't think there was any sex or nudity in that movie. I think it was just not in the first one. Action violence, and I think I was fourteen. So my dad took me to AMC Twenty Four, and AMC Twenty Four in Hampton, Virginia, had four major screens in the middle of the theater, and then two wings of like smaller screens. And I remember walking in, and I'll never forget walking into the theater to watch The Matrix, and it was the ending of the film. They were on, they were on oh, like no. a rooftop or something. And then, the, uh, and this guy, this usher, pulls me out and goes, "Oh no, you're in the wrong theater, man! You're, you're going to ruin the movie." I remember seeing, I can't remember what scene it was. It was, it was, it was definitely an ending image. It was like I think it was the scene where Neo is dodging the bolts on the rooftop towards the end. Um, and so he pulled me out. I'll never forget that. And then we went in and watched the film. And I remember leaving the movie um, and telling my dad that I was going to buy it because it blew my mind so much. I mean, it's one of those films you remember where you were when you first saw it. And uh, it also changed action forever. I mean, it was like the uh, the Wachowskis were, what I mean, what a film, right? And I remember, and this is why this is such a great movie for me, because I remember my dad taking me to Pizzeria Uno afterwards and I ordered, uh, it was like a pizza that had like bacon and mashed potatoes in it. It was amazing. And I remember trying to convince my dad because I was so ADD that I, 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 just, I was like, Dad, I need, I need this movie now. I need to own this movie right now. Uh, and he's like, Kevin, you're not buying it. It's rated R. You'll see it again at another point. And I'll never forget <laughs> that. But I don't know. The Matrix blew my, blew my mind. Um, still does today. It still looks amazing. Uh, and it is also one of the coolest soundtracks, the Rage Against the Machine track at the end when he's flying. Oh, out that song boom. when he flies up. Oh, yeah. So um, T- uh, T2 obviously is my number one choice, but The Matrix, I think, would be right. There. Good pick. And I actually just rewatched it because uh, they just put them all on Netflix. I rewatched one and two and attempted to start three. Couldn't get through it. But uh, I rewatched two the other day on Matrix that uh, on, on Netflix. That, that movie is pretty cool. It, I don't one, like one stuff. still there. There is not a wasted scene in one. One no, one's is a, a borderline perfect film. It is um, but so and it holds up so well. I, I still would say I would. Yeah. I, I, have a, I have a hot take. I think the freeway scene in Reloaded is one of the best chase scenes in the history of cinema. I agree. Yeah. The free, freeway scene is amazing. So good. That scene's amazing. I mean, but like the runway, it's a massive highway. Isn't it's it? a I'm massive. But they actually really? built that right. Didn't they build that freeway? In Australia, I think they did. Yeah. But the um, the uh, the building sequence when he when him and Carrie Ann Moss walk into that building in the first oh. Matrix. Oh my yeah. god! And it's just incredible. The what, was he? What, what doesn't he like drop? 
he drops something and it opens his jacket, right? The guy says, um, he like walks to the metal detector and he opens his jacket and he has all the guns, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and then yeah. you just like, I mean, uh, when they're climbing up the walls, oh my God, you know what the coolest effect in that movie is? Is when, is when they blow the elevator up. Like they like oh, go to the, the door, top like, and they like drop flies it. in yeah. slow motion. God, and the door, yeah, oh my God. It, was, it reminded me of Liquid Metal from um, T2. Yeah. Well, I think the agents are very much like the Terminator the T2, uh, yeah. T1000 in that they're constantly relentlessly pursuing you. Like the way that Carrie Ann Moss and, and the people who are on Morpheus's team are fleeing them like in, in fear essentially. And the, and the Hugo weaving brilliant casting. I'm, I'm transitioning Amazing. into my pick. Um, my pick. Okay. So I have two, <laughs> I'm cheating. That's okay. Mine we is also, cheat. mine's also the matrix. Yeah. Because, I'll give you my other pick and explain to you why I don't, I would argue it's not science fiction or I felt bad picking it. Cause I don't think it's science fiction. So I went to the matrix and also rewatch it on Netflix last night so because good. I was like, I want to, I want to rewatch it and see how it holds up. And I, I agree with everything that you say. I, I remember exactly where I was, where I saw it. Um, it changed everything. What I love about, this is what makes it science fiction to me. This is what puts it fully in the science fiction genre. Whenever you get a story that takes your reality and makes you look at it differently and think that um, it, it there's something that just alters your perception of what it is. Really good science fiction does that. And The Matrix is so smart, and it doesn't um, pander to the audience. It, it makes the audience play up to its level. Uh, and I think it's just the way that it plunges you right into the story, um, the way it, it educates Keanu Reeves so that it can educate the audience as oh, it's going. It's perfect. Keanu is so great. Exposition perfectly done. But they, yeah, but say they do it in such a good way. Right. It's not, yeah. you know, You're honestly, like, a lot better him. than they do it in Interstellar. They do it a lot better than they do it in Interstellar, oh, which I, I love always knock. But, but I'm sorry, continue. They do. Uh, and then, of course, just the way that it reinvented visuals. I mean, it's funny now, like rewatching it last night, there's things that happened in The Matrix where I'm like, well, that's a little cheesy. But I have to remember that that movie did it first. Not mm -hmm. just the bullet time, but the way that they freeze in the air. Um, and spin around like do you remember now it played out when because Neo everybody stopped did that bullet for the first time. Do you remember yes. that when they, yeah. when when they were just like coming towards me? He goes no. Was he say yes? No. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like the most epic thing I've ever seen in my life, and then they just like fall. Yeah, <laughs> it's so and now, good. It's funny, like the, the John Wick franchise to to talk about Keanu has gone back the opposite way now, where they're practically trying to do all the things the Wachowskis did. Yeah, you know, using effects. Um, so I'm with you. The Matrix is my choice. And I I don't like that. The, like sci-fi obviously has been around for decades. And I'm sure that there are a lot of really important, like I couldn't go with Blade Runner. I couldn't go with 2001. The I thing. know that those are all seminal. Yeah, they're great choices. But where we were when The Matrix came right. out makes it this, it's a, it's a, it's a life-defining well, it's a, per, it's a personal choice. I mean, this is why sure. it's our favorite. And The Matrix, yeah. I'm not saying, like I think 2001 probably... I mean, I would argue The Matrix is as influential as 2001, but people would probably destroy me for that. 2001's a masterpiece, but The Matrix changed action forever. Yes. I mean, that movie changed everything, but so did 2001. But I would argue that 2001 and The Matrix are on a level of game-changing uh, of, uh, of game nature that they could be compared in that sense. That's all. The other movie I that I was going to pick... 
the other movie I was going to pick, but I would argue that you guys will tell me it's not science fiction, but it's obviously one of my favorite movies of all time, and I've discussed this numerous times, and much like Kevin with T2, um, I would pick this movie for multiple categories, um, but it's Back to the Future. That's science fiction. Oh, that's 100% science fiction. 100% science fiction. I understand why it would be, but again, I'll use the analogy of of the buckets, and if I have to put a car that says Back to the Future into a bucket... Science fiction is not the first one that I put it in. I probably would go sci-fi first on that. Really? Because it's just it's so would. grounded. I know it has time travel, but the story outside of the yeah, use of time travel that. is very So what very would you put grounded. it in, adventure? But see, like, when you have hoverboard no. sequences, like that, that's sci-fi all the way. I know. I know. So I checked myself on my own definition of sci-fi and didn't choose Back to the Future for that reason. But Back to the Future, uh, I would argue, has more of a chance of going into the sci-fi bucket than Jurassic Park does. And I think uh, it's so weird. I I still think (laughs) one of my favorite Back to the Future movies is the third one. I love the third one so much. But that's a Western. I know, but it's it's Western sci-fi. It's also not good. I love the third one, man. Third I don't know why good. everyone doesn't like it. I, I think it's a perfect trilogy. All right. But, we right. are running long, so we got to get to Jake. Jake, your choice. Uh, my, you know, it's, it's funny Jurassic that, Park, that you guys I'm just going to unplug pick, the Yeah, podcast. I did not pick Jurassic Park, but it's funny <laughs> that whenever you guys uh, each picked your movie, you related it to um, you know a, a moment in your childhood, and because mine very much goes to a moment in your childhood. Because the whole point of movies, movies are vehicles that are meant to take you to a place that either you can relate to because you've been there or you could never possibly go. And I yes. will never forget uh, when the Star Wars films were coming back in celebration or coming back in the special edition uh, in, the, oh, yeah. in the late 90s, not around 97, I think. And so naturally, marketing started tying it all into everything you could possibly be tied into. And I remember asking my dad, Dad, what is Star Wars? And like almost as if he'd been waiting to be asked that question his entire life, he turned around in slow motion, looked at me, and I said, we're going to get them. And he went and we got the... The, the trilogy on VHS, whenever it was like all of them had like their faces, yeah. but it was like half their face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. naturally, I loved the first one and instantly was like, okay, I got to go. I got to watch the second one. And The Empire Strikes Back is when I went, uh, whenever I knew, I think, that, that this was the, the series that, that I would love for the rest of my life. And so The Empire That's Strikes awesome. Back is my favorite sci-fi movie of all time. It is a vehicle That's awesome. that takes me to this world that is both unbelievably unrealistic, but also incredibly grounded in what it means to be human and what it means to have family and what it means to be in love and what it means to hate someone. And and I, everything about that movie, it relates to my childhood. It relates to adulthood. There are aspects of it that have changed for me as I've gotten older. There are aspects of it that have changed, that have remained the same. Um, it is, you know, there are a lot of, yeah, like I guess that you could also say that it's also a fantasy film as well. But um but to me, it's it's 100%. To me, Star Wars is sci-fi. Star Wars is the example of sci-fi. And, uh, you know, this, this it's to me, Star Wars is the best example of sci-fi. It's the best movie series of all time. And Empire is the best movie in the best movie series of all time. Interesting. Jake, I have a question for you. Um, earlier, you, you, were, you thought you were going to predict what I was going to say. What movie did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to say T2. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And I thought right. we were about to go full circle with the whole. Yeah, 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 thing. yeah. Okay, uh, you, so you, I, I thought you knew my, where my joke was going in Battlefield. No, no, I did. I did not. I, I promise <laughs> you, I did not know that your uh, that your joke was leading to a bad Scientology movie. I need to be with Jake when he gets to experience Galaxy's Edge. Like that, that's a must. Yeah. Oh. Well, you 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 know when uh, you know when I am rumored to be experiencing it. So I uh, do. Yes, so, I do. So maybe you know, and you're not going to be too far from me when I do experience it. And Kevin, I, from what I understand, 
you're going to be there as well. I, um, I don't know about it, but sure. I assume, I assume if I'm going to be there, you're going to be there. So Nothing is, it, uh, is it through the normal channels? We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. Okay. Ooh, I um, like this. Gabe is asking if our next meetup can be at Galaxy's Edge. Uh, the cantina it's, it's at Galaxy's Edge. Line, it's only yeah. for people who speak on the podcast. Yeah, we can wait. <laughs> it. Well, why don't we do that since the lines will be six okay, or seven hours if you want to go to Galaxy's <laughs> Edge, speak now. I'd like to go. Kevin? I'd, I'd like to go. I would love to go. That would be Sean? fantastic. Anyone else? Anyone? Oh, no. Want to go? Okay. No All right. Well, it's just going? three people then. All right. Oh, fine. Goodness. Just three people. If the gatekeepers are listening, Gabe has no interest in going to Galaxy's Edge. None. All right. Uh, the audience picks. Uh, Shelby Jones says, "Alien. <sighs> alien is horror." That's still sci-fi, man. It's outer space aliens. It's <laughs> yeah. sci-fi. I know, no, I know. They're all sci-fi. But yeah. alien, but a- aliens horror. is more of yeah. I don't know. They're aliens both. is action. Aliens, aliens, aliens horror, horror. but they're both sci-fi. Yeah. All right. Toby Cruz says RoboCop. That's sci-fi. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. So it's sci- it's RoboCop is sci-fi. Jim Meta, he says I am Legend. I am Legend is horror. That zombie post-apocalypse is horror. Is zombie sci-fi? <laughs> No, no I don't think horror. so. What is Zor- zombie? Zombie is undead. It's horror. Wait a second. <laughs> it's not the sci-fi. Only, the, only, the only thing scary about I Am Legend is the special effects they use for the zombies. Uh, I How do we that, feel about Gemini ge- Man? Do we feel pretty excited about Gemini Man? No. The dog uh, scene in I Am Legend. I can't do it. I can't. Honestly, I can't. I. You're gonna have a really tough time with a with a moment in Chernobyl. I I, I almost turned it off at a certain point. Can't. No. Oh, yes, I heard about this. No, I don't want to. No. I, I can't right, do that anyway, stuff, man. Yes. Marley and Me is the scariest movie I've ever seen in my life, so I have no... You know, I, I did that junket. I'll never forget. I did that junket, and then when we interviewed Owen Wilson and Jennifer Aniston, I straight up told them, like, guys, good job. I'll never watch this movie ever again. Like, I, who, <laughs> who, who, wants to, who wants to see that? Who wants to Marley see that? Marley and Me was like... And I love how they packaged it as this beautiful Christmas family Christmas, film. oh my God. And I, <laughs> I, I, crap. That is the most depressing film I've ever seen. It is so <laughs> depressing. Oh I want somebody out there to keep a running list uh, in all of our episodes of when we go off on tangents. For So so this week's episode is Identity and Marley and Me. Yeah. <laughs> Movies that I did not anticipate talking about when the episode started. I know, Daenerys. I agree 100%. <laughs> That Jake should not watch that movie tonight. Uh, Zach Peters says Ex Machina, which we have uh, verified that is sci-fi. And that is an excellent, excellent choice. And then so many more of you guys who played along. This was a really active one on social media. Thank you. As always, we love seeing and interacting with everybody's thoughts on social media. So to continue doing that. Oh, God, I just saw Gabe's choice. To continue doing that, uh, you can head to Twitter and uh, follow us at Real Blend. We're getting close to like... 700 followers on our real blend account which is fantastic it's like 650 something um and then uh of course reviews too so for next week reach out to us on twitter using the hashtag ron howard blend oh. to let us know oh. your Ooh. pick solo. that's not as easy solo name your scene favorite ron howard wow. film did you see the news that he he's blaming online trolls because the, that's why the movie didn't do well yes yeah and and i made that joke at the beginning of the movie he uh, at the beginning of the podcast he legitimately is saying that he made a mistake with dark tower because he was a producer of it and that it should have been an hbo like longer series oh, so. yeah yeah I mean, what a horrible plan that was who who thought that that three movies with a series in between was a good idea i don't know not a good idea. All right. So anyway, hashtag Ron Howard blend next week's uh, 
Blend Game. You guys can reach out, like I said, on Twitter, or you can email us at realblend at cinemablend.com. So next week, we'll be back with uh, a reaction to Dark Phoenix's box office. Um, we're going to get into whether Endgame has finally beaten Avatar, because uh, if it hasn't happened next week, I'm starting to worry that it might not happen. Uh, we're also going to play a game, and i got to let you guys know that this is uh, also what we're doing. For next week, we're going to do the five best movies we've seen so far this year. Um, and in the process of doing do that, I also to? want to discuss... Yes, we do, because that's how I feel. And I, in that process, I want to discuss if we've seen anything out in theaters this year that will be contending at the Oscars next year. Anything. From a performance... A director, a film, anything that when you, you think say contender, out. do you mean will be nominated or has a chance to win? Nominated. Uh, I, I want the, the way we're at at this point in the year. I think we say nominated because contending. I don't necessarily see it yet. So anyway, come back next week. Uh, until then, you can follow all of us. Obviously, Jake is at at Jake's takes. Kevin is at at Kevin McCarthy TV, and I'm Sean underscore O'Connell. Head over to the iTunes page. Leave us a review. Uh, send us a review at realblend.cinemablend.com. We'll read it at the top of the show. Uh, we're going to do a show together in London again, I think, because as Jake jokes, the only time the three of us ever get together uh, is is in London. It's in London. So, more details on that when we get closer to it. And until then, Dunn Kirk. Tenet. <laughs> <laughs>